I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, our favorite time of the year is finally here. It's college football season. Week one, week zero was last week. That was sort of the appetizer. We got main courses everywhere. And Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, who covers college football for us, is here to talk about it and Matt, before we get started on all the games and all the programs in the state of Florida, of course, that we will discuss, I wanted to get your thought on a guy that you've covered uh, near and far from uh, Alabama, which is Mac Jones, winning the job at New England, uh, Cam Newton released. Look, there were a couple quarterbacks taken ahead of him named Trevor Lawrence, uh, what Trey Lance and Zach Wilson, but this guy, he's going to be a starter too. So how good is Mac Jones and how good of a pro do you think he'll be? Yeah, I th- thanks for having me on. I-, I think he's got potential. You know, um, he he was the—I don't want to say the game manager thing, but he was able to manage all of the personalities and, and egos and everything on a loaded, loaded, loaded Bama team last year. Um, and he was extremely efficient. I mean, sh- shoot, he broke the uh, NCAA record for for pass efficiency in a single season that Joe Burrow had set and. and Burrow ended up okay. So, yeah, I think Mac Jones definitely has potential. He's not necessarily the toolsiest guy, um, doesn't have uh, the, the mobility of Justin Fields, doesn't have the the arms, just the, the natural golden arm talent of Trevor Lawrence, but he's, he's at least solid in just about everything. And I know some people in the game really, really liked him, maybe more than some of the other guys who went higher than him. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how it works out just like everybody else, but... Uh, I don't think he's going to be a bust. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think he's going to do fine there. It might take some time like it does most rookie quarterbacks. They see a lot of traits that one Tom Brady used to have in uh, in New England. I buy that. So, I buy that. Well, yeah, maybe a good comparison there, although he is the GOAT. All right, let's talk about college football. And before uh, we get to the games and the teams, uh, if I'm going to a college football game, Matt, you wrote a story in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. COVID is still around, so there's even a few programs that might require you to show proof of a negative test or a vaccine. How how different will it be? The good news is we have fans in some of these places. Yes, there are fans in almost every place, which is uh, I, I is fantastic for the pageantry, and I hope it, it stays safe and everything. Um, it, it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be different from. 2019, but not as weird and different as it was in 2020, if that makes sense. Um, you know, in almost every case, uh, fans are allowed. Um, most cases that I've seen, masks are encouraged or recommended, but not necessarily required, and certainly not in the state. Um, there are some programs in the country, LSU is one, that will require a um, proof of vaccine or proof of a negative test in order to attend games. Um, I am not aware of a team in the state deciding to do that. It was actually a, a thing last week. Scott Strickland, the Gators AD, said we're not allowed to do that, which, you know, we did some digging, and that's kind of true. Um, in the state, you're not allowed to ask. You, you can't mandate someone be vaccinated. But if you there's a loophole where if you ask for a negative test, 
then that's a little bit different. And I'm I'm so sick of talking about COVID. I want to talk ball, <laughs> but this, <laughs> no, this stuff's all. I, well, I didn't want to stay on this forever, but yeah. no, I don't. I, I don't either. But as I say this, I'm just like, oh my god, why are we still doing this? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just hopeful it feels more like a real college football season again. Again, there's it's going to be different. I'm not expecting, you know, it, it, even places that have full capacity, uh, yeah. uh, you know, allow full capacity, which I think is just about everybody. I yeah. am not expecting full capacity. I know there are people who are going to be uncomfortable with the idea of being in a in a large setting like that. Maybe yeah. they're immunocompromised. Maybe they've got some other health conditions. Maybe they're just not ready yet. Maybe they have small kids, whatever the case may be. And I think you, there's enough of them out there that I'm not expecting 90,000 in the swamp uh, on Saturday for the, for the Florida Atlantic game. Um, I am optimistic that by the time we get into to October where um, and, and November, you know, uh, the, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, hopefully that looks normal again in Jacksonville, Florida State, Miami in November, that sort of thing. Maybe by then we're, we're back to a lot more normal. But it's, in the meantime, it's going to be this kind of liminal state where we're not 2019 but we're not 2020 either yeah particularly in the state of florida where the delta variant is still a real factor here all right let's get into football and um i guess you could say the emory jones era begins now with the florida gators quarterback uh he is their guy he is a a, a guy that i think that dan mullen is comfortable with in in his system uh, you wrote a story about it in the Tampa Bay Times. I had forgotten about this. His first pass was pretty impressive, but was also <laughs> incomplete. Um, but I remember the guts and the decision. So uh, Emory Jones is is ready for his spotlight, I think, right now. I think he is. Um, you know, I, and I, I when I've thought about Emory Jones over the last couple of years, because there's been, you know, the most popular, you know, aside from the, with the Bucks right now, the most popular guy on almost every roster is the backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, that Kyle Trask throws an incompletion. Oh, my God, he's a bum. Get him out of here. Put the backup in. Um, so I've had a lot of time to think about Emory Jones and what he's done. And, and I kept going back to the, the incomplete pass. Um, it was an incomplete pass. His first real meaningful action against Georgia as a freshman in 2018. Down nine in the fourth quarter. High pressure situation. Um, rushes for seven yards on, on, on one play to show that he can run. And then. Uh, drops back and ha- fires a 50-yard bomb to Van Jefferson down the right sideline. That's again, it's 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 uh, incomplete. It's a defensive pass interference, so it, it's still a positive play for the Gators. Um, but but afterwards, and this I thought about this so many times. Van Jefferson, who's now a, a good receiver with the Rams, said that's a quarterback that can win a national championship. At the time, I was like, it, it wasn't complete, right? And, and you guys lost, right? Like the, the drive ended in a field goal. <laughs> right I'm, I'm not crazy like these, right. these are things that happen we're talking about this guy because of one pass that was not a touchdown or a completion winning a national championship but, but that's just the hype around him and i can make a, a good case for why i mean he's he is the guy that dan mullen wanted to be his first quarterback signing he has been waiting for three years for his opportunity the, the last time Mullen had a quarterback wait this long to be the full-time starter was a, a guy named Dak Prescott at Mississippi State who ended up um, having a, a career of, of some renown in Starkville. Um, Mullen has always said that he doesn't need a great running quarterback. He needs a willing runner. Well, Emory is a willing runner who also happens to be very able at it. And I think you kind of put those things together with Mullen, you know, especially with this uh, backfield that should be pretty darn good for the Gators. 
and you add it all up, and this should be a situation for Emory Jones to absolutely succeed. Um, I, I have questions about the talent around him, particularly at, with with the guys who are going to catch the ball and and the, the line as well in terms of whether they can win the East or anything like that. But this is a situation that's set up very well for Emory Jones to have a chance to succeed. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that offense is going to be rolling, and nothing against uh, you know Kyle Trask, who's, who's doing a good job learning the NFL offense, but this seems to be more in Dan Mullen's sort of sweet spot. So it'll be interesting to see how that offense plays. Meanwhile, uh, up the road a little bit in Florida at Florida State, they you know it's amazing that Mike Norvell still hasn't, as far as I know, named a starting quarterback. He has two guys on the depth chart as Jordan Travis or. Mackenzie Milton so I guess we might have to wait a little bit longer on that as we do this podcast but um, the story you wrote about Mackenzie Milton we, we all sort of you know remember the the gruesome injury that he had <laughs> against USF and it's remarkable um, that the guy just came back from that to walk you talked to one of his doctors Matt tell us just just what a miracle this is that this kid has made it back to the football field and has a legit start, a legit chance to start and or play for Florida state this year. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it's, and it's, it's nothing short of miraculous. That was the phrase that Dr. Levy at the Mayo clinic up, up in Minnesota said nothing short of miraculous. When he told me that obviously my ears perk up because dude's a, dude's a doctor, dude's a well-respected surgeon who does these, you know, he does these gruesome, uh, sur- yeah. Uh, repairs these gruesome injuries every single day for 20 years. That is what his mm. job is. And again, mm. he's at the freaking Mayo Clinic. He's not at uh, <laughs> a, a nobody uh, facility. And for him to say it's nothing short of miraculous mm. is is just kind of mind boggling to me. Because he, if if anybody can understand this, it's him. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I, you know, the human yeah. body is capable of wonderful things. And and McKenzie is mm. as determined a patient as he's ever had. And. In addition to, I mean, obviously McKenzie's uh, physically gifted. He wouldn't have been in the situation otherwise. And I, maybe that helps his body heal. But just his determination and his grit to go through surgery after surgery and and, and everything. I mean, just so many different examples in there. When when uh, McKenzie first sent Dr. Levy the video of him running, he had, the doctor had to watch it five or six times to make sure it was legit. Wow. Um, there, there was one time when uh, they were testing his, uh, McKenzie's knee mobility. And he, McKenzie wanted to be able to get his heel to his butt because when you're when you're when you're sliding, when you're um, mm-hmm. when you're running, you need that kind of mobility with your knee because if it lands weird or gets planted not 100 percent, 300 pound lineman comes and break your leg. And uh, Dr. Levy said, I've, "I've not had a patient be able to do that before. I, I don't. I'm not sure you're going to be able to get there." And a couple months after working and working, McKenzie sends his doctor a text message with a picture of his heel hitting his butt. So just stuff like that along the Jeez. way. So many little achievements that um, added up to the situation right now. Where I mean, Look, if, if McKenzie Milton never plays another game, it is still a remarkable, remarkable story. Um, the fact that he's at FSU competing for the starting job, adding what he's able to do to a young quarterback room in terms of his leadership, um, all, all that type of stuff. It's a fantastic, remarkable story. And I, I have no idea if he's going to start Sunday. Um, my gut tells me probably not. But I'm not counting. I'm not counting McKenzie Milton out of anything right now. I can tell you that. No, he's inspirational, and his experience uh, playing the position will will matter. And he'll, like you said, he's going to matter to all those quarterbacks in that room. And um, you know, the leadership is there. So, what a terrific story! Make sure you check that out as well on TampaBay.com. 
Matt Baker uh, talking to Mackenzie Milton's doctor at the Mayo Clinic uh, lets you know just what uh, what a miracle it really was. All right, let's get into the games because I love ball, and we've got one, uh, actually a couple tonight, but one uh, right, you know, includes USF, which has got a brutal schedule at least to start the season. Matt, uh, USF travels to North Carolina State. I don't know how good the Wolfpack is. I suspect they're much better than USF, who's finally settled on a quarterback as well. Yeah, I, I think you're you're exactly right. It, North Carolina State's always one of those tricky teams to figure out. It, they're easy to get lost in that just kind of the vanilla six and six to nine and three ACC soup. Um, but this year, I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, they've got a chance to to win nine or ten games. I don't. It's been a while since they've won ten and been able to break through. They may they might be the second best team in that division behind Clemson. It wouldn't surprise me at least. And they've got uh, they're they're pretty strong on the line. So it's going to be a tough test for USF. I'm not expecting a whole lot. You know, I think Kate Fortin as a, as the the Bulls quarterback. I think he was the best option from what I saw. But really, I just want to see some sort of progress, some sort of offensive identity and steps forward from USF in this game, and then again against the Gators next week. Just because, look. They're not at a level where they're gonna, where they should be competing against these guys. They're, they're just not. So just kind of accept that and look for the the little positives in there before uh, before I think their schedule softens a little bit. Yeah, I think it was tough for all these first year coaches, and obviously USF has a long way to go in recruiting and things like that. Um, I don't know Jeff Scott. I mean, I, you hear different things about him. I haven't been around him enough to judge him, obviously, but I think I think a lot of times when you're a first year coach, you try to do everything. I'm wondering. I'm wondering how much he learned, even you know, going through just a tumultuous season with COVID and all of that. Um, but I think there should be some real growth for him between year one and year two. Uh, isn't that usually the case with young head coaches? Yeah, the first year he didn't know what he didn't know, and, and I mean he he'd been a, a head coach in high school before, but obviously it's different. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a, you know a, a thousand pages of notes and it's probably not an exaggeration but he had a ton of notes from his time with Dabo at Clemson and who I'm sure has been a great mentor to him but until you're in that seat making those decisions again the decisions big and small who you're gonna who you're gonna hire for your big positions who are you gonna hire for your smaller positions what do you do when somebody gets in trouble what do you do when somebody's in academic trouble not to say anything about what do you do when there's a once in a century pandemic that changes absolutely everything in society, including the football team. So there's a lot of just little things that I'm sure he's learned along the way and probably gotten better at delegating at times. Um, So we'll just see how that, how that works out. And, you know, I I, I think one of the things that's interesting with with USF is, is how they've used the transfer portal. You know, Cade Fortin, we talked about um, Mm -hmm. as a starter, he's, he was at North Carolina. I think they've got nine guys who were um, n- nine new players this year who have been at Power Five schools. And I'm curious just to see how those all work out. I mean, these are guys yeah. that Jeff Scott probably either recruited or at least looked at when he was at Clemson. And uh, you know, I think if USF is going to be successful long term, they're going to have to use the portal really well to find the guys who signed with Nebraska or Minnesota or Maryland or whatever, and it doesn't work out. They want to go somewhere warmer, closer to home, and USF's a destination. So I, I think that's just kind of one of the little stories I'm looking at here in the next couple of weeks before we start to see whether they can uh, and how they can compete in the AAC. We'll see how much impact uh, or how much he allows Charlie Weiss Jr. to uh, call plays and uh, impact that offense as well or whether he continues to dabble into that a little bit with his background. Uh, I'm going to mention this game because it is tonight. It's a national game, and 
what can I say? My namesake is quarterbacking Ohio State. Is at Minnesota. How good is this C.J. Stroud guy? He's good. You know, he's just the next in line of really good quarterbacks Ohio State has had. Um, and, and I don't think he's going to be Justin Fields, um, but he still should be pretty, pretty strong for an Ohio State team that, look, when I did my AP Top 25 for the preseason, there's five teams that are clearly ahead uh, above everybody else in my mind. Right. Ohio State was the one that I had the most questions about, so I put them fifth. But hmm. you could argue that they're going to be you know, better than that. And it, it helps when you're throwing to Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who's probably the best one-two receiving punch in the country this year. So, yeah, I, I think mm. they're going to be good. And a, a, an interesting test, and in, in, uh, they're opener against Minnesota, which should be much more like the 2019 Gophers than the 2020 Gophers. Yeah, P.J. Fleck does a nice job up there in Minnesota. The game is in Minneapolis. Uh, another national game. It's big in my household. Penn State is at Wisconsin. Are the Badgers, uh, these teams are pretty evenly matched, I think, in the rankings at least. I think so too. And, and Penn State was one of those programs that was was obviously nowhere near as good as people expected last year. So mm-hmm. that's one of these, they're one of the early test cases of, how much of 2020 was COVID, throw it out, it doesn't matter, it was really weird, versus how much of it was, these are legit things that we, you know, cracks showing in programs or, or rises that we didn't expect, um, that, that that will matter going forward. And you know, Penn State being very disappointing, was that because uh, James Franklin is slipping a little bit up there? Or is it because Micah Parsons, their best defensive player, opted out? And yeah. then they had a bunch of issues at running back with health and injuries and that sort of thing. And it was a, and then COVID and it was just a weird, perfect storm that led to a, a terrible season for the Nittany Lions. So that's kind of one of the interesting uh, things along the way, just how much, you know, them like Minnesota, like I said, where Minnesota was really good in 19 and took a major step back in 20. How much mm-hmm. of that was COVID? How much of it was just uh, the way the program's going? Yeah, Penn State, I think, started zero and four, and then and then won a bunch of games at the end of the season. Looked like Penn State again. Um, Alabama, uh, this game is Saturday night. They're at Miami. Uh, anytime the Crimson Tide is playing, everyone's going to watch. I, I mean, Miami seems to have taken some steps. Matt, I don't know if they're back to national prominence in terms of challenging for a national title, but what a draw for Week One. Yeah, um, to me, the Miami-Alabama is such a fascinating game um, because this is the type of game in the past where Alabama has absolutely dominated, right? You know, they, they kicked the crap out of USC. I think it was in Jalen Hurts' first game. Um, they they beat Florida State, was it 24-7 in Atlanta, but the game didn't really feel that close. And th- these are the early marquee blockbuster matchups that they just they just roll. And this is also the type of game where Miami stinks. Um, you know, as they've taken steps forward over the last, you know, five years, whatever it is. But aside from the Notre Dame game in, in 2017, they typically look bad against the top teams. You know, they look bad against Clemson. Um, they look bad against Clemson in the ACC championship game. Didn't look good against LSU and their opener in, uh, I think it was in Jerry's World a couple of years ago. They have not looked good and been competitive in the marquee matchups. And if Miami is going to get back to being Miami again, I, they don't have to beat Alabama. Alabama is going to be, again, one of the top five teams in the country. Would not surprise me at, at all if they're winning another national championship. But Miami does need to be competitive. They need to keep mm. it close. They need to have it interesting going into the fourth quarter. And I think they've got a team that can do that. 
Now, when you've got it, football can be really simple. And when you've got a guy like Derek King at quarterback, you have right. a chance. Um, you, you add in like Charleston Rambo, the OU transfer at receiver. I, I think Manny Diaz's defense, again, we talk about 2020 anomalies or trends. The defense was not good. I mean, it was terrible at the end of last year. I, I think that was more of a weird circumstance and not indicative of Manny's defense. Well, this is a chance to, to, to see some growth or whether it's a continued regression. Um, so I think, I think it's kind of similar with Florida State and Notre Dame on Sunday. I'm not expecting the, the uh, Seminoles or the Hurricanes to win, but I do think it's reasonable to think that they are going to be competitive and take steps forward. And Alabama, of course, has a new quarterback as well, and so that's always interesting to see who's in the pipeline um, at that position. Florida Atlantic is at Florida, uh, and then Florida, of course, comes down to uh, Tampa and plays USF. Willie Taggart's team, I don't know how good they are, but they have a former Miami quarterback of their own, right, in, in Cozy Perry? Correct. Um, yeah, and Perry had flashes of, of being pretty decent. He wasn't a consistent passer. He was a good runner. He was tough, tough as nails, I thought. Um, the, uh, w- w- the time he beat FSU, um, you know, the, the biggest comeback in the, the Florida State-Miami series, that was an, an 18 down there through four touchdown passes. And, you know, he, he had flashes of being pretty good, but never was consistent enough to, like, be the guy. Um, to me, the, the, the things that I'm kind of watching on Saturday, look, I, I don't expect Florida Atlantic to be competitive with the Gators. If they are, something has gone terribly wrong in Gainesville. Um, so I'm really looking like we talked about with Emory Jones. I want to see his growth. I want to see what the offense looks like. Because I'm not expecting it to look the way it did in 2020 with, with Trask and Pitts and Tony. Um, what what Mullen does well, and what he'll tell you he does well, is figure out... It's what co- good coaches do. They figure out who, what are the chess pieces that I have and how can I best use them. And look... Jones has a stronger arm than Kyle Trask, but he's not as consistent, not as accurate, and he's a better runner. So what does that look like, practically speaking, on the field? We're we're finally going to get a a glimpse of that because it's going to be different. Um, One other weird wrinkle to this, and I'm saying this on the podcast before I write it because I I want, if I'm wrong, somebody call me out on this. I think (laughs) Willie Taggart is going to be the first coach in the state to have coached in every current FBS stadium in, in Florida. Um, oh, wow. He has not coached at, in, in the Swamp previously. He was uh, let go in, in, in 19 before he had a chance to. But he's been at Hard Rock. He's been at FSU, UCF, FAU, FIU, USF. I don't think there's another one that's coached <laughs> in all of those stadiums. And, and Willie will t- t- tick the uh, the last one off the list in the Swamp on Saturday. Uh, and may have lost in every stadium as well. I'm not exactly sure about that. but 5-0 and uh, at, at Florida Atlantic. Oh, there you go. Okay, well. He actually coached in uh, against in, in the FAU's uh, their stadium opener in 2011. I think it was at, he was at Western Kentucky at the time. So uh, he was five and zero there. The nomadic Willie Taggart still doing it here in the state of Florida. Pretty remarkable. Saturday night, a national game. LSU is at UCLA. They travel way out west. Of course, uh, so much going on in New Orleans uh, with the hurricane that just passed through there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Chip Kelly's team, I know they, they, they took on never tough Hawaii, but they dominated. Uh, looks like they might be a factor in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, this was finally the Chip Kelly offense that people had been expecting to see. You know, I, I did not expect Chip Kelly to be that bad at UCLA, as bad as he was the first couple of years. I mean, <laughs> look at watching the game Saturday. I, I kept thinking to myself, um, remember, remember when the Gators hired Dan Mullen? Who mm-hmm. The top two guys that they wanted, or, or two of the guys that were very high on the list, was Scott Frost, who had, you know, was just mm. got run out of, uh, of Illinois and was a. Uh, not very good, and we'll see how his future looks because it doesn't look bright right now. Um, and Chip Kelly, who had been dreadful through his first uh, couple seasons at UCLA, and maybe he just needed mm-hmm. a little bit of time to put things together. You know, Dorian Thompson Robinson, a good quarterback. They've got some uh, some some linemen who can push people around and a good ground game. Yeah, I didn't take a ton out of it because it's Hawaii, but yeah, LSU was going to be a, a big test because I don't know what to make of the Tigers either. <laughs> I just yeah. I just don't. Um, I don't know that. Yeah, we keep talking about 2020. Was it an anomaly or a trend? LSU was not very good, um, except for the the night of the the, the thrown shoe. Um, yeah. We'll see how that all shakes up with Ed Orgeron because uh, the SEC has a history of running off coaches not long after they win national championships. Oh wow, he could be next. I think Max Johnson may get a start there. No, that is that is correct. With uh, um, Miles Brennan uh, is out with a, an injury. He's had a, a bunch of injuries over his career. So yeah, Max Johnson, the uh, son of Brad Johnson, that people here uh, know that name, um, uh, will be the the Tiger starting quarterback. They know it too well because he beat the University of Florida in a very big game for the Gators. All right, the game you're going to be at Sunday, Notre Dame. We mentioned a little earlier is at Florida State. Is this Notre Dame team as they have been the last few years a national championship contender? I don't think so, but they're still going to be very good. Um, you know, when a team loses a really good quarterback, they typically don't get better. There's, there's, you know, Alabama is the exception, but other than that, it doesn't happen very often. Even Clemson regressed, and we can talk about Clemson with, with Georgia too. Um, but yeah, when when you lose a quarterback like Ian Book, who was, I mean, he wasn't a superstar, but he's the all-time winningest quarterback in the history of Notre Dame, which is a, a program that has won a, a couple games, um, a, as far as I know. You're, you're probably not going to get a ton better. You know, Jack Cohen, the Wisconsin transfer, is going to be the guy there. Their line should be pretty good. Um, I really like their running back, Kyron Williams. I think he's a stud, one of the uh, best backs in the country. But I, I'm not expecting Notre Dame to be the national championship team. I think they're in that. New Year's Six conversation, but I don't think they're going to be a, a, a playoff team. So the, the question then is, what can FSU do against that? Last year, they played up in South Bend, and the Knolls were... They weren't necessarily competitive, but it was one of those times where the win was that they didn't quit. And in earlier years, earlier versions, they might have. So I, I guess if you're looking for positives, that was one. But this is a time where, look, FSU's got a lot of transfers. Um the talent level is is not where it needs to be long term, but they they've got some dudes. Um, Jermaine Johnson, the Georgia uh, transfer DN, to, to name one that I'm really excited to see. So they need to not get the you know they just not, need to not get the crap beaten out of them. They need to be competitive. They need to be close. They need to be in a one or two score game going into the fourth quarter with a chance to 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 really you know, to, to have a shot at it. That, that to me, I think, would be a win right now. 
FSU should not be in the moral victory thing. That's not what the Seminoles are. But realistically, where they are right now, with a team that with six and six would be a good season for them, they need to be competitive with Notre Dame. I was going to ask you. I got to, I got asked that question the other night, uh, a TV question about what what constitutes a good season for Florida State, and you know, I, I think winning does, right? I mean, you, you're going to have to start winning games. I mean, that's the only thing that you can really be measured by. Yeah, you can be competitive. You start there against the better football teams, but. I mean, Matt, they, if they can win six games and, and be bowl eligible, to me, that would be a, a terrific season in the right direction for sure. Exactly. Six six is a success. That Again, yeah. that is weird to say at, at Florida State, a, a team that has won three national championships, uh, that yeah. won one, what, eight years ago now? It's not that long ago. Um, but realistically, where they are, the, the recruiting issues, the, the errors, the missteps, and evaluations and everything else that they had over the last few years, the end of Jimbo, part of, of the Willie era, um, the, the slow start they got off to with Norvell. If they can win six games with this schedule, I mean, look, you got to remember who they're playing to. Notre Dame is a top 10 team. At North Carolina, a top 10 team. At Clemson, a top 10 team. Miami, a top 15 team. At Florida, a top 15 team. That in and of itself is rough for, for where the Knolls are right now. And in addition to, to NC State, which might be pretty good, and, and Wake Forest isn't going to be bad, and who the heck knows with Louisville. So if they can get to six and go to the, what is it, the Red Sox Bowl, whatever it is up in Fenway, <laughs> or the, yeah. the Gasparilla, Gasparilla Bowl or something like that, if they can go to a bowl and keep building and have something positive to show, then that's a good year for, for, for FSU right now. And, and then next year we can talk about higher expectations and what Norvell needs to do to, to show that he's a long-term guy. Yeah, no, I think that would be a good season for them for sure. I'll get you out on this, uh, Matt. Uh, the way too early predictions for national championship games or national cha- teams that would be in the mix, at least for the Final Four, I've got Alabama and Clemson, maybe Ohio State or Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm going chalk, baby. Uh, <clears throat> but Jimbo Fisher just got $9 million a year from Texas A&M. <laughs> So that tells me that the Aggies Whoa. must be ready to, to climb into the national championship arena. My goodness. I thought you had to win first, and I mean win big. But uh, are they Aggies? I mean, who's that, who's that team that's going to maybe crack this, uh, this, this mold of, of four and sometimes Notre Dame? Let's talk about Jimbo. Let's talk about this, Rick. This is important. I saw that last night. I'm I'm, uh, I'm watching Bachelor in Paradise with my wife again. Yeah, I, yeah I love you were. Yeah, you I, were. I, I, lo- I love the drama. I, I have no shame in this. And I see on Twitter, Jimbo's getting a new deal. I'm like, what? And, and it doesn't make sense. Dude, dude yeah. signed a fully guaranteed ten year, seventy five million dollar contract in, in, okay. in the you know in, after the 2017 season. As of right now, he has seven seasons left on it. He can leave for zero dollars and zero cents. And if he and if he leaves, here's a scenario. Listen to this one, Rick. He in his current contract, he could win a national championship this year, and then stink for four years, to the point where A and M's like, okay, we got to get rid of this guy. They would owe him twenty two and a half million dollars to get rid of him. Goodness, because his contract is fully guaranteed. Now, now you're going to do a scenario where you say, you know what? I know nobody made a run at you, Jimbo, because there wasn't like a great opening anywhere else. We're going to pay you more money, even though you, you haven't done what you were supposed to do, which is win a national championship. <laughs> and I'm not saying Jimbo should have won a title yet. 
I, I don't right. think that was necessarily realistic. He had yeah. a very good 2020 season. Great. He's on the right track. He's doing what he's supposed to do, but he hasn't done it yet. So now we're going to say, we're going to give you a new 10-year, $90 million contract. Now, we mm. haven't seen the details. Maybe there's some buyout stuff in there. But the way things Jimmy Sexton seems to work, I'm guessing it's a very coach-friendly contract. So, so to make it now where, what are the odds he lasts another 10 years? Very, 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 very small. How many coaches have been around for 13 years at the current school? Not many. Not many at all. And, and to think that Jimbo is going to last in that pressure cooker for that long and that it's going to be worth that $9 million a year investment, I don't see it happening. He's a really good coach. Look, there aren't a lot of guys who have active coaches who have won national titles, and he is one of them. And he is doing a fine job at AM. But these are the stupid things that athletic directors and administrations do, and it very rarely works out. Florida gave Jim McElwain an extension after, after uh, either his first or second East title. How did that work out? They had mm. to they negotiate and buy him out. Uh, Scott Frost somehow got an extension at Nebraska, even though he had done terribly, to the point Oof. where now Nebraska might have to pay him even more money to get rid of him because he sucks. And on and on the, the list goes where it's mind-boggling that administrators continue to make to do these these stupid stupid things because it's not like you know it's not like Alabama was coming after Jimbo at this point. No, Jimbo didn't have any other options. I know you want to keep him happy, but th- this is just stupid. It, it, it's it's malpractice. It's going to cost them a lot of money. <sighs> you did you ask me a football question? No, that was the football question. And I, I, I'm not sure that I disagree with you. I mean, $9 million for Jimbo Fisher, like you said, when he hasn't really gotten them uh, to a national championship game. But I guess the job just got harder if, in fact, Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they're trying great. to protect them against and that. that. And, that I, and that's that's right, and that's great. Worry about that later when the job yeah. gets tougher because we don't, as we sit here today, they're not joining until 2025. Now, yeah. do I really think it'll be 2025? No, I do not. But you can address that in a couple of years, absolutely, and with, with with a raise or something if necessary. It just it just doesn't make sense to me why coach why why schools give out extensions and raises like they're candy when they don't when they're negotiating against themselves. And the, in the end, the only thing that's going to the, the most likely scenario by far is that. At a certain point, things don't work with Jimbo and AM. They get tired of each other. He's not winning enough. Uh, he does not getting the, the everything that he wants. And it, and it's going to end bad. It almost always does. And by by negotiating against yourself and giving out more money, you're going to spend more money down the line. And it's dumb. Now, you did ask a football question. You asked whether AM can break through and get to the playoff. Yes. I did ask one. Um, the Aggies are going to be really good this year. Um, there's a lot of similarities between this team and the 2013 team that that broke through and won it all at FSU. Um, even in terms of like a you know young quarterback that's a lot of talent and, and trying to break through. Defense has a bunch of dudes. Uh, one of the best offensive linemen in the game. Some really good players at, at skills. Um, uh, and yes, who can kind of move all over the field. Spiller at running back. They've got some players and some talent. I'm not convinced they're ready to, to knock off Bama yet. So there's a scenario where they get to the playoff, but you know we'll see. Um, to me, I, I think you know, we, we talk about the, the playoff. I, I think I, I can't believe I'm going to say this because this is going to come back to bite me. I've got Georgia winning it all. Mm. I have the fewest questions about Georgia 
Um, their their defense loses a lot, but I, I trust at this point Kirby Smart to be able to to fill those holes, particularly in the back end. Of the teams, the, the top five teams with a chance with with the best chance, that's Georgia, OU, Clemson, uh, Bama, Ohio State. Georgia's got one of the top two, one of the only two proven ish quarterbacks in JT Daniels, and, and I trust. Um, Georgia's offense at this point and their all-around ability more than I trust Oklahoma's defense, even though Spencer Rattler is a great, great player. And I think Todd Monken is going to be able to do a really good job scheming things to work with, with a uh, really good, you know, probably the best backfield in the country at Georgia, plus a quarterback who can make the throws that his last couple couldn't. So, yeah, I, I think you know, Georgia's my pick to win it all. And, uh, yeah, Clemson, Oklahoma, probably Ohio State, boring, but that's where the sport is right now. Well, JT Daniels is a good quarterback. I know Todd Munkin's a good offensive coordinator. I'm anxious to see how he does uh, with him together. And if they do what you say, Matt Baker, I think Todd Munkin's going to be a head coach in the uh, college football or maybe even the NFL before long. If that's, uh, if that's I think you are correct. How they progress. So, so great to talk college football again. We've got actual games. We can read Matt Baker. He's going to be at Florida against Florida Atlantic and then pulling the double header with. Uh, Notre Dame visiting Florida State. So all I can say is drive safely, um, get some sleep. <laughs> it's going to be a long year, and yep. uh, say hi to the say hi to the family when you can because we know how that goes, right? Exactly. But uh, I'm I'm glad to be doing this. You know, last year was so rough. Oh, I am I just know. excited for some ball. Get it's me to be... Saturday. Get me to game day. <sighs> then I can breathe. Nothing like it. Thanks. We appreciate it, Matt. Take care. Have a safe trip. Sure. Thank you. I love, love waking up on Saturday mornings, college game day, and knowing there's a full slate of games, and especially when the Bucks aren't playing on the road, which they are not. We are just one week away, as a matter of fact, T-minus one week from today. The NFL season kicks off with the Dallas Cowboys at Tampa Bay at Raymond James Stadium. Ed Sheeran is going to do a concert. It's going to be lit as they say, uh, for the kids. And I, I just I can't wait. This is this is the best time of year. And if you're into baseball, and why wouldn't you be in Tampa Bay? As we're doing this podcast, the Rays own the best record in the major leagues. They're going to finish their series against the Red Sox today. Uh, just a remarkable year again uh, for the Rays with a chance to win 100 or more games for the first time in franchise history. So got a lot going on and uh keep it right here we'll we'll you know obviously get more into the bucks and their preparations because the players are back today they can begin practicing now and preparing for the dallas cowboys after their four days off at the end of the preseason so we're gonna have lots of bucks talk lots of interviews coming up from coaches and players um you guys want to you know stay tuned for that on sports day tampa bay we appreciate you listening for steve burstick i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody 